Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled How Employee Benefits Are Impacted by Washington, D.C. to receive a code for SHRM credit. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello. It's another episode of the Benefits Breakdown with Vanessa Longnecker and my team. Hey, Jared Bocut here with you in Dallas. Hey, everybody. Adam Compton. Uh, excited to have an amazing guest star today. We have Rich Babcock, part of the population health team with Brown and Brown. And Rich, we're just excited to dive into digital trends, things coming up in the marketplace, and use that brand of yours and the team's expertise to go and uh, educate folks in the marketplace. So uh, as we get into some things, Rich, maybe we can step back and just learn a little bit more about you and your role within the Brown and Brown family. Sure, Adam. Uh, I, uh, as, as you know, I'm uh, in our population health management specialty practice, and uh, we we build out uh, tools that we can use, our consultants can use to help our clients uh, in, essentially improve the health and productivity of, of their, their workforce. Uh, and it involves establishing relationships with uh, vendors and carriers in the, in the, around the country, and then uh, working closely with our clients on understanding their, their pain points, their goals and objectives, and coming up with, uh, with a, what we call a population health strategy. So Rich, I think it's fair to say that wellness is not what it was 20 years ago as we've evolved into population health. Sometimes we intermingle those words and kind of understand the impact that one is versus the other. So as we understand population health versus wellness, how would we explain that to, to, the, to the audience here of what those are and how they differentiate? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a, it's a complex question. And, uh, you know, we hear from a lot of our clients who have implemented what we'll call a traditional wellness program uh, that, that they're disappointed that their wellness program hasn't met expectations, hasn't delivered on, you know, improved health and productivity and cost and all. And many of, of the HR and benefits managers are, are being challenged by their CEOs and their CFOs to, to either replace or reinvent their, their wellness programs and, and really demonstrate measurable value. So be, before we start talking about you know, rethinking wellness or, or moving to a population health approach with a client, we, we, we take a step back. We use it as a, as a, a, a consulting opportunity really to, to have a conversation with our clients, understand where their wellness programs fell short, but, but more importantly, to talk to them about their organizational goals and priorities, what are their goals for their workforce health and for managing the costs of their benefits, uh, attraction and retention, building a culture of health. And when we have that discussion, it, it leads to a discussion about taking a population health approach as a solution, which begs the question, what is population health and how is it different than, than a traditional wellness program? So when, when, we, when we answer that question, you know, what's the difference? Um, it's important to, to come at it from a, uh, a population segmentation approach. So we, we start the conversation by talking about um, your, your population, and it's really split into three buckets, uh, the healthy and low-risk population that, that generates about 5% of your cost, and then the moderate risk. Those are people who have elevated risk for diabetes and heart attack and chronic conditions. And then there's the high risk. Those are people who have Chronic, multiple chronic conditions. They may have complex diagnoses like cancers or musculoskeletal. They may have significant behavioral health issues. 
And that population is about 20% of the employees and they incur about 90% of the cost. So we start with that framework. What we've found is when we look at a traditional wellness program, their, their focus is primarily on that, that low and moderate population. Uh, who It's about 80% of the employees who incur 10% of the cost. And employers have invested in programs and incentives to get their employees, encourage their employees to, to seek preventive care, see their doctor for an annual wellness exam, get their cancer screenings. Uh, many, of, many of the employers have uh, encouraged employees to check their biometrics and uh, eat better, manage their weight, exercise more. We often see you know, team challenges and lunch and learns and health fairs. I think that the reason that wellness programs have failed to meet the employer expectations that they would produce a return on investment is primarily because of the target audience here. Uh, the wellness programs are really targeting the 80% of the employees who incur 10% of the cost instead of the 20% who incur 90% of the cost. It go, it's like the John Dillinger question, you know, why did John Dillinger rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Well, I think we've seen that kind of cross multiple platforms, right? You have in population health, this integration of could be the physical health, the social, the emotional, uh, even tied to financial, right? So one impacts the other. Could we touch a little bit about, you know, kind of your thoughts and perspective of maybe if that financial stress that might drive into a, uh, a behavioral health indicator that might drive up cost to an employer and impact the employee and their family? Yeah, Adam, it's a great point because one of the differences between wellness and a population health strategy is that population health looks more broadly uh, across all of those risk categories, but it also uh, looks more broadly about the uh, the drivers of well-being, whether it's physical health, emotional, social, or or, uh, or financial. And and in particular, what what we we recommend in a population health strategy is to double down on areas like managing chronic conditions and complex diagnoses and double down on things like mental health uh, and the root causes of mental health, uh, like stress and financial uh, issues and child and elder care and managing uh, work-life balance, things like that. It's a much more holistic view than, than a traditional wellness program. And when I say double down, what we're really doing is introducing proven services, proven programs that we know have demonstrated that they can manage conditions like diabetes and, and hypertension and other solutions that can help employees navigate the healthcare system and, and their benefits. So many employers have a lot of resources out there, uh, and we know how complicated the healthcare delivery system is. One of the linchpins of a population health strategy are, are resources to help employees navigate the healthcare system and their benefits, like an expert medical opinion service that will help people, you know, get the right diagnosis and and get to the right center of excellence for things like cancers and surgeries and and other complex diagnoses. Rich, prior episode we had one of our teammates come on and talk to us about data, the changing space of data within the healthcare world, and using data as an employer. How are you seeing data come about and being used in the population health space? And what are what is our team doing to help that for clients out there? So we take a data-driven approach. And, and what, is, what, what does that really mean? Uh, so it means when, when we sit down with a client, 
and try to understand what their pain points are and their goals and objectives. We take a close look at their cost drivers and productivity drivers. So we, we do a, a very uh, a detailed analysis of their chronic conditions. What's the prevalence of, of disease? What's the cost? How does the prevalence compare to benchmarks? So we, we create a baseline, essentially, uh, dashboard of, of cost drivers. So we look at chronic conditions. We look at the utilization of preventive care services. And um, we, we, we take a very close look, actually, at, at mental health. Um, we have a tool that we use to, uh, to estimate the hidden costs of chronic conditions. And, um, and when, we, when we run our clients' data through that, you, you can see that the, the, the indirect costs of absenteeism and presenteeism associated with, with mental health uh, really elevates the, uh, the importance of focusing on, on mental health. Uh, and it's really opened the eyes to a lot of our clients uh, when we when we show them uh, how the the total cost of mental health compares to the other costs of you know other other high cost conditions like cancers and surgeries and, and complex disease. But bottom line is we 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 create a, a baseline of uh, key performance metrics uh, so that we can monitor not only the the, the health of the population over time, but we also uh, create performance metrics and dashboards to measure the performance of the particular solutions uh, and programs and services that the, that the clients uh, implement. Certainly mental health has been a, a key need of focus for many employers long before COVID, right, BC, as we refer to it these days. But regardless, it's exponentially grown, right, in both uh, awareness, need, demand, and lack of access in, in some markets, quite frankly. What type of solutions are you seeing and or how does this marry with the rise of digital health solutions that many employers are, are seeing in their markets today? So, you know, when it comes to mental health in particular, employers have been struggling. But with the pandemic, uh, the impact that 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 has had on employees and families uh, has been really exponential. Uh, so the prevalence of stress and anxiety and depression and addiction is has really risen dramatically, and it's really got the attention of of you know many of the C suites. Um, and one of the challenges that we have is to how can we address the uh, the barriers to um, to to mental health care, uh, whether it's stigma or access to affordable care, uh, access to to quality uh, therapists, things like that. One of, so one of the challenges we have is that employers have a lot of these resources available, but employees just don't, you know, they don't know where to go when they need help with mental health. And there, there's been a lot of new solutions in the marketplace. So uh, the advent of, of uh, telemedicine and teletherapy uh, and uh, stress and resilience apps, uh, a lot of new solutions. And so we're, we work with our clients to find uh, or to create really what what becomes a a mental health front door where we provide access to resources like uh, therapy, uh, which can be available through your EAP at, at no cost, uh, and to other other resources that can help manage stress and resilience. And so with this with this idea of the the mental health front door, we're really leveraging uh, what what we'll call we call it the the re reimagined EAP. 
uh, because the EAP has had a bad rap. Employees don't know about it often. It's not promoted. Utilization of it is, is abysmally low in the single digits. And so we really view a, a reimagined EAP as an opportunity for an employer to, uh, to create a single place to go for triage, to get access to uh, therapy or uh, preventive uh, resources to help people manage stress and resilience uh, and, and those types of resources. All right, I'm throwing a curveball, Adam. So Adam and I work for Vanessa and Vanessa's running a 500, around a 500 employee construction company. So you can imagine there's a lot of male testosterone in this company. What's my job, Jared? Am, is that, am I been hired yet or am I still trying to get the job? Uh, you're my assistant HR manager, okay, so you perfect. do work for me. Awesome. Yeah, I like we it. just need to make that clear. Okay, very good. We know that in this space, managing mental health can be a challenge. Rich, I'm going to put you on the spot. What What are you doing to help an employer like that? Like I said, about 500 employees, really male-dominated. What are some things that maybe you've seen that have been beneficial for an employer like this? So one of the, one of the uh, well, a couple of things. Part of this gets to addressing stigma and making people aware of the resources available to them through their employer. So one of the, one of the recommendations that we bring to, to many of our clients when it comes to managing mental health is to train your uh, HR and supervisors on uh, mental health awareness. And what you, what you create is really a whole other sort of an early detection uh, element to uh, identifying people with mental health needs, and then uh, referring them to uh, the the right resource. It's sort of like a, a mental health first aid approach. Uh, so we're seeing uh, that 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 is one of the key elements of uh, of introducing a uh, you know a, called a next generation behavioral health strategy. And so with that, so you've got training um, of the the supervisors and uh, NHR, and then um, you do a you know a awareness and stigma campaigns for for the employees, and um, and then you make it really easy for uh, for those folks to go and find help. Uh, so whether it's a uh, a portal that uh, that they can go to to access uh, care, uh, but the important thing is that the care that they that you're referring them to needs to meet them where they are, and by that I mean uh, you need to have a whether it's an EAP vendor or a, a, a telemedicine vendor uh, that can have therapists who can provide therapy, whether it's texting, video, phone, in person. Uh, you need to help them find therapists who have or are taking appointments and who meet the criteria of the employee. So if you've got a male employee who wants uh, a therapist who speaks their language and is their gender and race or religion. It's really important, again, to, uh, to educate your organization about mental illness and to be on the, on the lookout for employees who could use help and then, um, and then steering them to, to the right location. It just seems like a, an amazing, you talked about that reimagined EAP where, you know, that used to be the all-encompassing, just call the EAP, that's our one solution. And now if we impact a diabetic solution or mental health solution or virtual care. I think we saw a stat that was over 50% of large employers are going to be offering low or no cost virtual mental health solutions in this upcoming year. Uh, it's meeting people where they are, uh, wherever they're on their journey. Even a recent article about uh, 23andMe, the genetic company who's going to 
they purchased lemon, uh, is it lemonade or lemon health? One of those two, but tried to dye the genetics. Uh, sounds like a drink. I know everybody's laughing at me. I can't remember the, the name of it, but it's one of those. Where the, Are you talking about limeade? No, it's lemon something. Oh, okay. Lemonade. Yeah, there's, but the genetic aspect to the actual virtual health solution. So if we can identify the genetic aspect, mm-hmm. uh, it can help with that healthcare. So, I mean, it seems like the digital market space is just booming with, uh, with limes and lemons and other great opportunities. It is. Uh, what are you seeing in the digital? <laughs> Adam, before we go, before we go to the, to the fruit, um, I just wanted to make a, a point about the EAP and, you know, it, it's a source of, of free therapy, uh, for, for the, the employees and their family members. And, um, and, and it's available to all employees. So it's not connected to the health plan. Uh, and the, uh, the, the sessions, the costs for that, uh, don't go through the health plan, but it's, um, uh, if you up up the number of sessions that you have available through your EAP, uh, it can be a, a really nice first line of of entry uh, into the into the the mental health um, system. So I uh, just wanted to to make that point. Yeah, I love that, and I also would would say right, you know, there is a certainly a prudent population that may or may not be covered by a group health plan. But we're also seeing, as Adam mentioned, you brought up plan design. So there's a lot of opportunities when you can marry both, right, to better manage the population. The fact that we're seeing droves of employers completely wave and go to $0 mental health therapy and in, in office visit co-pays to that regard speaks volumes, right, to how they wish to support their team members to be more productive, present, right, and active stewards within their organization and community. So really, really great, um, you know, points on, on both fronts there. Vanessa, to your point, I mean, we've even seen that within our own organization. We need to give kudos to those that, that help drive this within Brown & Brown to take it to a very minimal cost or zero cost for, for mental health. And with that, we've seen a huge influx of participation and additional claims that I think is money very, very well spent in the mental health space within Brown & Brown. So yeah, Rich, maybe you can expand upon that about how that plan design really plays into that access to care within a a health plan. Sure. Uh, Basically, you eliminate uh, one of the biggest barriers to to care, and that's cost. Um, And then you address uh, the access issue. Uh, by providing them, you know, curated lists of therapists who are taking taking uh, appointments. Uh, but beyond that, you're creating what ultimately becomes an integrated experience. And by that, I mean um, one of the one of the things that we hear from uh, employees who use EAP is that when my when my three sessions run out, my it flips over to my health plan, and I need to uh, switch therapists. Um, so what what we see in a reimagined EAP is that um, when when an EAP recommends a therapist, uh, they will be therapists that are in both the EAP network and in the health plan network. So you have continuity of care. Uh, but that's just just one element of of how we see the you know the integration of of the health plan and, and it's also telemed vendors and the EAP coming together to to create more of an integrated experience. 
All big pieces of the puzzle, that's for sure. What other trends as we look to wrap up our fun here today would you love to leave the audience with? I I know they're getting inundated and sadly we say it's almost productized, right? So there's a lot of solutions out there when it comes to all things well-being. Clearly we've seen a shift in traditional wellness initiatives that have truly now transformed to more cultural initiatives for the prudent reason you mentioned early on. ROI. So when we're thinking about ROI and new solutions, I, I really, you know, we as consultants really encourage the leverage of data, which we've talked about today, but using very targeted solutions and not just what the marketplace trends suggest, right? So there's a lot of really cool solutions out there today. It's oftentimes very difficult to navigate, right? And there's a lot of layers understanding how are they backed? How are they financed? Where are they at in their growth phase, right? We're seeing a lot of consolidation. Any closing thoughts there as well? Yeah, Vanessa, I mean, as we all know, um, there's billions and billions of dollars going into digital health and hundreds and hundreds of vendors, you know, knocking on our doors and our clients' doors. When we help our clients kind of navigate this this landscape, um, there are a couple um, mantras that we follow. The first is that when when we're evaluating a call it a point solution, one of the most important things to look at is, is there evidence of outcomes. Uh, so we do it. We do, we do a real rigorous dive into uh, what proof do they have that they can deliver on promised outcomes, whether it's you know managing diabetes or even um, improving mental health. So evidence of outcomes is key. The other aspect of it is um, is integration. How can you uh, as a as a point solution fit into a an integrated clinical management system? Uh, to to produce a, a seamless user experience, you know we're we're seeing that happen by acquisition. A lot of the point solutions are merging to try to create that whole holistic uh, user experience. So and that's happening at a frenetic pace. That that's the other thing that that we that we look at is, and then we we marry up the the point solution and what they can deliver on uh, with our clients' needs. Uh, we, you can't boil the ocean, so uh, <laughs> it's important to be very focused on uh, if you're going to introduce a new point solution, uh, what's your overall strategy, and how is this going to fit into your uh, not only your your health risk management strategy, but also your your user experience, how you deliver your benefits. I think employers need to decide, and I think it fits to what you're saying, Rich. A lot of our friends out there know teammate Dave Ross and his wonderful hats that he wears, his 11 different hats. And they need to look at which hat they want to put on. And does the solution fit into the finance realm? Does it fit into the culture, recruitment, retention? And what hat do they have on? And that can drive a lot of the decisions that they need to make. But there are solutions out there that could fit into different aspects and the different hats that they have to wear within the HR and finance world. Because it is challenging to know, is this really going to drive an ROI like you talked about? Or is this more focused on just helping my employees to create a great place to work? And so they they have to make those decisions on a regular basis. Love that, Jared. As we wrap up today, obviously, we know each and every one of these pieces of the puzzle are meaningful to drive outcomes, right? And whether that outcome is financial or it's cultural, at the end of the day, we're talking about how we best care for our number one asset for most organizations are people, right? So it is a, a challenging time to recruit and to retain. And I only think these solutions will continue to rise to the forefront as differentiators for employers moving forward. So thank you, Rich, for your time today. And for all, we look forward to our next episode with all of you. 